Well, it is August 13th, and the school year is fast approaching, and all of the travels from summer coming to a close. And so we're going to be kicking off the fall with uh, several announcements uh, regarding the fall and ways that you can be involved here. So we're going to kick off with youth. Good morning, everybody. My name is Ailey, and I help out with the youth ministry. And I just wanted to start announcing that on the first week of September, uh, we'll be starting up our Wednesday night youth group. So this is our weekly youth group for middle schoolers and high schoolers. And uh, the time and more details will be announced in the coming weeks. But just to mark it on your calendars, that Wednesday, September 6th will be uh, when we kick off. And if you know any families that have students uh, that go to uh, the middle school or high school in in that age range, uh, just encourage you to reach out to them um, And uh, we'll have more info in the coming weeks. Thank you. And also, just a heads up, uh, Shiloh and Jordan and baby Ziva are doing very well. And we hope to see them here some Sunday soon. Uh, But thank you for your prayers and all of that. They they much appreciated, but they're doing very, very well. Uh, Last Sunday, I mentioned that... uh, the uh, June giving numbers had not, or July numbers had not come out. They are up, so if you're interested in the July numbers, they're in the bulletin, in paper, or online. And just a reminder, uh, through the summer, there's various ways to give here at the well. If you're visiting, you may notice that we don't necessarily pass a bag around uh, like uh, other churches do. Uh, we ask you to, to seek the Lord. And uh, it really comes down to stewardship and cheerful giving. So seek the Lord. We praise God for 13 years of his faithfulness and his provision around here. And we understand, you know, current economics, inflation, and, and everything going up. And so sometimes, even, even on the, uh, the bigger scale, when things happen on the macro level, sometimes it's an opportunity for us to reassess even our own stewardship because there are seasons. And so we encourage you to do that as we kind of come into the fall. Seek the Lord. God loves a cheerful giver. We praise him for his provision. Uh, but there are various ways to give. Um, Regarding women's ministry, we want to uh, give a praise report and say, it was Christine, thank you for the card-making uh, workshop yesterday. Uh, just, again, a wonderful opportunity for fellowship and for ladies to get to know one another. So thank you for all those who came out. Uh, and, uh, ladies, we wanted to let you know something that just came to our attention. Uh, First Baptist, just down the street a little bit, they invited you, everyone, uh, the ladies, to Adventures in Prayer. It's this Friday and Saturday, $10 lunch provided. And uh, again, this really just came to us, so we want to let you know because they'd really love for you to uh, join them if you're available. Uh, What you need to do is you need to call uh, the church over at First Baptist to sign up. There's a phone number there. Uh, Again, it's $10 lunch provided, but uh, they wanted us to invite all the ladies if you're able to make it uh, this Friday and Saturday. Okay? Uh, Men, we have opportunities for men's ministry Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, my name's Matt, and I have a couple of invitations to you. Uh, one is for the men only. Uh, we have a Sunday morning men's group that meets, surprisingly enough, every Sunday. Uh, at 9 o'clock, we'll meet out on the patio. It's a friendly group of guys that uh, gather together to strengthen one another uh, through uh, fellowship and reading the Bible and just having a good time together. And there are donuts so those are provided uh, free of charge. You show up. There's donuts and there's coffee. Uh, Ernie can attest to the coffee. He, uh, he's a constant consumer of the coffee there. So uh, that's the first invitation for all the men. Uh, the second invitation is 
uh, for the Walk of Compassion coming up in September. Uh, the Walk of Com Compassion supports uh, Life Choices and the work that they do there. Life Choices is our local uh, crisis pregnancy clinic. They do that and a lot more. They support uh, young mothers. Uh, we do a lot of work with them. We've helped uh, at their facility. And every year, uh, their fundraiser for Walk of Compassion is great. Everyone, It's a great way to gather, to pray for their ministry, and for us to, to just show support for uh, young women and their children. So um, I think those are my two announcements. Thanks for your time. All right. All right. Uh, and a couple Sundays, we want to invite you to join us over at the Continuing Care Center uh, Sunday. We're going to get there about 1.45. The chapel starts at 2. We've had a relationship with the, we call it Triple C, uh, for 13 years. And uh, if you're watching us again, Triple C, they watch us faithfully uh, Sundays. And uh, we want to invite you. We, before COVID, we would go out there once a month and do a chapel, just love the residents, meet them. Uh, do some worship and a short um, devotional. And so we, we're firing it back up. We went out a couple of weeks ago at the end of uh, July. Great opportunity. Twelve residents came out and just wonderful. And uh, we want to invite you to come on out. Uh, if you've not been there and you're maybe a little nervous, that's great. Come on out. Come on out. It's local ministry. Sometimes we think that ministry has to be, you know, somewhere in a, in a foreign country or something. It doesn't. It's a walk of compassion, and it can be uh, what we call triple C. So it's our chapel once a month. Okay? And then finally, on September 10th, we are going to have a fall kickoff family day here after church. Uh, we're going to bring out the dunk tank, the water slides, all that kind of stuff. And we want to just kind of as a church family do kind of an official transition. That's from last year, things that we did. And uh, we just want to gather as a church family and invite you to, to spend an afternoon together. We're going to probably do a shorter service and head on to the back and just enjoy uh, kicking off fall together. If you want to be baptized on that day, we'd love to do baptisms uh, on that family day. And um, you can bring your own lunch. We'll provide extra refreshments and all that. But we're looking forward to, to family day and kicking off the fall. Okay? This past July... The Powerball jackpot hit a billion dollars, and somebody in California won that. I'm guessing that's pre-tax, right? But it's very interesting because as, as these Powerball mega millions, whatever you want to call it, as the numbers rise and get into the hundreds of millions, possibly even close to a billion, you know, it's not uncommon for there to be a stir and people to get excited. And uh, not uncommon for many people to dream about what I would do if I won the Powerball, right? And, of course, many of you would tithe pre-tax, I'm guessing, right? Thank you. 10% pre-tax, though, right? So, you know, and we dream, and we're like, oh, we could help so much, and we could do this, pay off the debt, you know, yada, yada. And we go down this list, and, and you know, a lot of it, nothing's necessarily wrong with any of it. But I have a question. What if God knows that you winning a billion-dollar Powerball jackpot is going to ruin your life? That a billion dollars is not really what you need do you trust him? Do you really trust God to know what you really need? Even though everything in you can justify what you want. 
And there's a lot of good things that come under that. Right? I, I was thinking of that, that billion-dollar Powerball thing. And then Proverbs 30, uh, the middle section between eight, verses 8 and 9 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? So if God knows that winning a billion-dollar Powerball jackpot is going to ruin your spiritual life, first and foremost, are you good with that? Are you really good with trusting that God's going to meet your needs? He's going to answer prayers according to your real needs, even though you, as you sit here right now, may not even know what those needs are. We're going to look at that today. Because I believe even in the church, many of us, Pray, rightfully so. We're to pray, we're to be anxious for nothing, but, but with thanksgiving, supplication to bring our request to God, right? We know that. But sometimes, if we're not careful, our prayers are more about wants than needs. And in fact, what where it can get a little bit more challenging is that there's an element in our humanness, in our finiteness, in our limited capacity to know all things that we might have blind spots. We just might not know everything. Now, I know that's hard for some, that you just may not know everything. Okay, so turn to the person next to you and say, it's okay, I don't know everything either. Go ahead and say, it's, it's okay. I don't know everything either. But praise God that God knows everything, amen? Including, including... What we really need, which may not be a billion-dollar Powerball jackpot. Because God's needs, your need and my need, really, first and foremost, deal with the spiritual relationship with Him. But even in the church, many of our prayer requests, wants, and, and petitions focus on externals. Material things, relational issues, financial issues, health issues, okay? Nothing wrong with those necessarily. But what if God, in the midst of whatever you're going through, is trying to get through to you and say, hey, here's your real need. I want to I answer your prayer at the real need level. Are you willing to be really good in that and rejoice that God is faithful to answer our prayers but it's based on what he knows you really need. Are you willing to take your hands off and say, thank you, Father. Thank you for giving me what I really needed, even though I didn't even see that as my real need in the midst of this. So we're going to look at that uh, through Mark. We're actually going to jump into Mark chapter 2, but a quick review. If you're just joining us, we're walking through the gospel of Mark, and Mark is the gospel of action. Right? Not a lot of long lectures, not a, long, a lot of background. We're just, Jesus is just moving. He's just moving. And in Mark 1, you remember John the Baptist appeared, said, hey, get ready. Get ready. Messiah's coming. Jesus shows up. He gets baptized. Remember that supernatural? He gets baptized. Holy Spirit descends like a dove. God speaks. Right? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus goes out in the wilderness for 40 days. He's tempted by Satan. We looked at that. Right? And then he begins his, first, his, his ministry, he calls his first disciples, he's healing people, casting out demons, 
He is busy. And last Sunday, we focused that, we saw that Jesus, even though he was really busy, he never lost a priority of prayer. And I know that last Sunday, uh, you know, many of you were blessed by the message. And uh, just, just uh, kind of survey says, how many of you from last Sunday's message, your prayer life changed a little bit? You saw that prayer is productive. Your, pers- your perspective changed, right? You got some wisdom. You were prepared. You're walking in the spirit. You had peace, right? If you didn't get a chance to listen to that message, I, I really encourage you to. Because Jesus, in the midst of all his busyness, didn't neglect prayer. He kept it a priority. And we saw last Sunday that for many of us, in the busyness of life, unfortunately, prayer is one of the first things that goes. Why? Because we're wired today for productivity. We're wired for efficiency. We're wired to start the day and get going. And so when you think of spending 15, 30 minutes or more in prayer, you're like, oh, come on. That's a waste of time. Pray in the car. Right? We got to get going. Day's moving. Sun's going. Come on, let's go. And we saw last Sunday that truly prayer is productive, probably the most productive thing you can do at the start of a day because it impacts and influences the rest of your productivity. And so I encourage you, uh, look at that message again. Or if you hadn't, I encourage you to listen to it because it can radically transform your life. Radically transform your life just by prioritizing prayer and keeping it as the anchor before you launch into the day, okay? So at the end of Mark 40, uh, Mark 1, verses 40 to 45, we're just going to close out chapter 1, and then we're going to uh, chapter 2. It says, And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he, that's Jesus, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desert places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So chapter 1 again closes with this miracle, supernatural act, heals a leper, and this leper goes out and just starts in a very good way, telling everybody, right? To the point where Jesus is now famous. Everyone wants to come from all the surrounding regions. So they're just coming. Words out, they got to see Jesus. They got to be healed by Jesus. They want to see what this is all about. Okay, so that's the setting as we moved into Mark chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. It says, and when he, this is Jesus, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? 
Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Right again. So the setting is Jesus is at home. He's preaching the word. Word is out that Jesus is there. So people come from all over. They fill the house. You can't even get in the door. Okay? And there's a paralytic who's got four buddies. And buddies decide, you know what? Jesus has been healing. Just healed a leopard. He's casting out demons. We got to get our friend to Jesus. So however they did it, they put him on a stretcher, some kind of stretcher. They're carrying him. They get to the house and they're like, man. Couldn't even get in the door, right? And these four friends, very faithful friends, loving friends, compassionate friends, caring friends, they don't just go, ah, maybe tomorrow. No, I don't know how they did it, but they hatched a plan. They hatched a plan. Like, no, no, we got to get our buddy to Jesus because we believe Jesus can heal our paralytic friend here, right? And so... Homes in this region, there's a picture right here, homes in this time kind of had flat roofs, and oftentimes they had staircases on the outside, right? And so the four friends decide, let's get him up to the roof, and let's open the roof. We'll figure out where Jesus is. And if you notice on the, on the left there, there's beams that would run across, and then it would fill, be filled with thatch and mud and all that. So they get up there, they kind of decide figure out where Jesus is, and they begin to pull the stuff out between the beams. Now, this guy, I don't know how tall he was, but he's going to be maybe three by four by six to get him down, right? So they make a hole. Now, imagine inside the house. Jesus is preaching the word, right? Everyone's nice and quiet like you all, right? Preaching the word in the middle of a sermon, and suddenly, you know, stuff had to come down. Right? And suddenly there's a hole. And in the middle of a sermon, when it's all calm and everyone, right? This paralytic gets lowered by his buddies. Again, I have no idea what's going on, but I'm imagining like, little lower, little lower. I mean, right? And stuff's probably still falling down from the roof. Right? And everyone's probably stunned. And Jesus is probably like, Yo, okay, right? And they come down, right? And, and, and it's such an awesome scene. And then in, in verse 5, it says this, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I love Jesus, because if you look at the Gospels, Jesus oftentimes sets things up, and then he uses them as teachable moments. Right? He'll be walking along, and he'll see something, and he'll tell a parable. He'll tell a story in a way that people can relate. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even think about it that way. Well, Jesus uses this incredible act of faithfulness and love for a couple of teachable moments. Right? Because right, every, this paralytic is lowered. Everyone knows that Jesus is this great healer. So everyone's focused on seeing a miraculous what? Healing. Right? They're, they're focused on this physical healing. Like, man, this is cool. I've heard about this. I was hoping he would do something. Right? That's why we came early to sit in the front row. 
right? I, this is cool. And so everyone's kind of probably waiting with bated breath, like, oh, dude, he's there, he's there, he's there. The friends are excited. It's like, it's going to happen, right? Our boy's going to get healed. And suddenly Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Screeching halt. Suddenly there's a teachable moment. Because it wasn't what people were expecting to hear, was it? Right? Now, to help you understand what's going on here, culturally, it was very interesting that it was a common belief that all disease and disabilities arose from sin. Okay? So, in this culture, very common, the Jews believed that if you had some disability or illness, there must be sin involved. Remember Job's friends? Right? What Job's friends came, hey, Job, come on. Just come clean to God. You must have done something. Because why else would this have happened, right? So even Job's friends thought that what was going on in Job's life was connected to sin. And in John 9, right, remember Jesus is walking by someone, a blind person with his boys. And his boys say this in John 9. As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Okay, so underlying what's going on in this, in this incredible event in Mark 2 is this cultural connection with, in this, in this, in this uh, instance, paralysis with sin. So Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, which some would have been, okay, we get that. We get that. And, and the first teachable moment was, was really directed to uh, a group called the scribes. Now, the scribes uh, were a group of religious leaders that were very skilled in Jewish law and theology. Okay? And it's interesting because when Jesus says to, the scri- to, to everyone, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven, the scribes have what I call an eyebrow moment. Right? Now, if you study body language... Your eyebrows are, are tails, right? So in this case, when Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven, the scribes have an eyebrow-raising moment, right? And, and, and body language excerpts will tell you that when your eyebrows grow up, it's surprise. One of the emotions is surprise. So Jesus says, sons, your, your, your sins are forgiven, and the scribes go, Right? So turn to the person next to you and give you your little eyebrow. Go give your eyebrow. There you go. Surprise, right? Like, right? So he says, son, your sins are forgiven. The scribes go. Did you just say that? Right? Because the scribes, in verse 6, it says, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Eyebrow goes up. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned with themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Jesus knew what was going on. Note to self, Jesus knows what's going on in your heart. The Bible says there's nothing hidden from his sight. You can fool me, you can fool us, you can... Jesus knows exactly what's going on in your heart. Okay? So they have this eyebrow-raising moment. And they say, he is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And you know what? They were right. Only God can forgive sins. 
The scribes knew this. They were 100% correct that only God can forgive sins. Exodus 34. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Isaiah 43. I... I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. The scribes were 100% right. Only God can forgive sins. They were also 100% correct that if Jesus wasn't God, he was blaspheming. Okay? So they were technically correct if Jesus wasn't God. Only God can forgive sins, and if Jesus isn't God, he is guilty of blasphemy. Okay? Because when Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven, he was putting himself on equal footing with God. And that was an eyebrow raiser. Right? That would be the same as if someone's at Libby, Libby Park, right by the fountain. And you walk by today and you say, hey, your sins are forgiven. You're like, okay, that's an eyebrow furrow. But you'd be like, what? He's like, who are you? Right? Can you imagine someone at Libby right now walking around and say, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Okay, maybe. Your sins are Just kidding. Just kidding, Gloria. Just kidding. Gloria never sins. She walketh on water. That's King James. But, um, right? So don't forget how astonishing this would be. Like right now, someone's at Libby Bowl claiming to forgive sins. How many of you would be like, ah, uh, anyone? Come on, like, you'd be like, ah, uh, come on, man. You're making yourself out to be God. That's exactly how you're feeling right now is how they felt, right? And this is why Jesus, man, I love Jesus because he just sets people up, right? He knew what's going on. He lets them, he lets them fester. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes, sometimes in your life, God's going to let things fester. He's going to let you think that you got it all figured out and that you're right. And everyone else is wrong. And he's going to let you chew on it. And he's going to let you go down the rabbit hole because he's just waiting for the right time to bring some discipline and correction. Right? So Jesus knew. Right? And he says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Which is easier to say, right? And and he's talking from, from their perspective, right? Saying that someone's sins are forgiven is easier. Why? Because it's invisible. Ha. Okay. It's invisible. How would you know? Right? It can't be immediately tested or proven. That's what he's, that's what he's getting at. He's like, from a human, I know what you guys are thinking. So let me, let me, let me, after you mold this over, let me, let me kind of like let you know what's what here. What's easier? See, in human terms, healing the paralytic and telling them to get up and walk is much more difficult. Why? Because now it's put up time. 
It's either going to happen or it's not. It's going to be visible right now or it's not. That's a lot harder. That's a lot harder at that moment, right? Which one is easier? Wink, wink, your sins are forgiven? Or, hey, dude, get off of that thing and get up and go home, right? The act which the eyes are able to see verifies the other act which the eyes cannot see. Amen? So the guy, Jesus tells him to get up. He gets up, and he just makes his way through the crowd. They're in the presence of God. They're in the presence of God. And I remember way back, uh, I was in early college. I was going to UCLA, and some friends had been sharing the gospel with me. I grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition, and so I never really read the Bible or, or really even looked at it in my own personal journey. Kind of just went to Mass and kind of just received it passively. And they would share things about Jesus and the gospel. And I began this journey, and fundamental to this journey was for me personally to develop a conviction, a belief about who Jesus is, right? In Matthew 16, Jesus says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Who do you say that Jesus is today? You, not your parents, not your boyfriend, not your girlfriend, not your husband, not your wife. Who do you say? That Jesus is. That's a foundational question for every human on this planet. There's eternal implications for your answer to that. Right? And so part of my journey in my own faith was, who is Jesus? Not, not who do others say he is, right? So I started reading the Gospels, and passages like we just read in Mark 2 were stunning to me. Because Jesus was saying and doing things that really challenged me personally on, well, who is he then? Who is he then? Who do I really believe he is? Based on his own words in the Gospels, right? And then I came across, many of you are familiar with this trilemma made famous by C.S. Lewis. He says this. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him or Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. 
But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. That's an eternal answer right there. Who is Jesus? And if you've been seeking and, and, and all that, I encourage you, continue the journey. But it's going to be inescapable about who you believe Jesus is. And I encourage you with that. I was there, and, and again, I would read, you know, and then I was going to, went to law school, so I was very studious, very academic. I wanted to know, no, 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 no. And it was very interesting. I would do all this reading, all this studying, and then eventually I would put all the other extra books away, and I would just read the Gospels. Because I really wanted to hear for myself, read for myself, what Jesus said. Not what others wrote about what Jesus said. I needed to be confronted with what Jesus said himself. And it was through that process that God really uh, opened my eyes to the understanding. He either is or he isn't. And that's a profound eternal question. Okay? So he sets it up. First teachable moment is for the scribes. Paralytic gets up, validates, verifies (laughs) that his sins were forgiven... And so everyone, sort of in stunned silence, recognizes, hopefully, that they're in the presence of God. Jesus is God, right? That was teachable moment number one. Teachable moment number two, when Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven, is really kind of for, kind of like everyone there, and even for us in 2023 as well. So go back to Mark 2, 4, and 5. It says, when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And again, kudos to the friends. Right? And part of that, you know, I I think, man, wouldn't we all like to have friends like that? Who, like, will go out of their way to get us to Jesus, to what we really need. Right? Again, their focus was on the healing of, the, of his paralysis, whatever that condition was specifically. But man, oh man, I was thinking of that and I'm like, you know, Lord, I hope as a church we don't ever get so jaded or so comfortable or so numb to the fact that we're surrounded by the lost. And we need, especially primarily through prayer, maybe through inviting them to church, a Bible study, a social event, we need to always be attentive and diligent and dedicated and committed and faithful to be bringing the lost to Jesus. Amen? Never forget that. Some of you here, I remember when you first showed up. Right? And to see the growth in you. Because somebody brought you to Jesus. The well, every church, we're just tools. It's not about the well. It's about the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. We just happen to be at 1290 Grand. There's First Baptist right there, Calvary Chapel, Westland Church, Redemption. There's all kinds of wonderful tools to be used of God. But someone brought you to Jesus, right? Someone brought you to Jesus. And we have the privilege of, of seeing you grow here. So I just want to encourage us as a church, 
Who are the lost around you? In your neighborhood, at work, school, on your sports team? Have you lost sight of that already? Because I was reading uh, that one of the... I want to say that one of the byproducts, one of the challenging byproducts of sometimes when people get saved and they come to church and they get plugged in at church, right? And they're doing all church things, which are all good in and of themselves. I'm not saying anything's bad about it, except for the fact that statistics, uh, statistics show, this was back in the early 2000s, that over about a period of two years, two to three years, someone who comes to faith in Jesus and gets so plugged in and, and really good with church and goes to Bible study and home group, then, after two or three years, you don't have any more unsaved friends. Because you, in one sense, cocooned yourself. You isolated yourself. And I want to encourage you, right? I'm not saying you go out and do what the world does at all. But what I am saying is you have to be careful because we are called to be salt and light. And we're not called to be scared of the world. We pray for the world. We still, Jesus still wants you to bring people to him in 2023, right? Randy has an incredible ministry at Dodger Stadium. We go there, and it looks like there's a lot of, we just went two weeks ago? Yeah, two weeks ago. And he has an incredible ministry there. And we sit there, and throughout the whole game, people come up to him that he's known for 10, 15 years. And these are predominantly the workers, the staff, that he's built relationship with. And he has had prayer requests. He's seen people come to faith. He's seen healing in their homes, in their relationships. Because he's there. And he's made himself available to those who maybe will never go to church. But they'll go see Pastor Randy in the upper deck. And over 10 years, I mean, it was, it was incredible. There was this uh, uh, young man, younger man, and he had two young boys, right? And they were there, and then they went and sat. And Randy pulled out pictures from, I don't know how long ago, when this guy, this young man, was single and used to go with his girlfriend, now they're married and their two boys are there. I'm like, you've known this guy that long? See, he's intentional. There's an intentionality about putting himself there. Within bounds and within, right? We're not saying, again, put yourself in situations that are going to compromise your faith or anything like that. What we are saying is that we have to be careful that over time, our hearts don't become so sort of comfortable and numb. And we lose sight of like, dude, these four guys, they didn't take the initial no for an answer. <laughs> they went up to the roof, opened it up and lowered their buddy because they knew, let's just get them to Jesus. So I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you. Ask God for one person, just one that needs to know Jesus, and at the very least, start praying for that one person. Every day, just pray that God would begin to soften their heart, that God would create in them a spiritual hunger, a spiritual thirst, that God might use circumstances in their life to humble them, to bring them to their real need, whatever it is. You gotta keep your heart softened to the lost, amen? You got to. Otherwise, if you're not careful, that's what they call churches become holy huddles. Right? You've, said, you've heard me say this before. It's like us 50 and that's nifty. Right? Because we come here and it's comfortable and we all talk the same and we all dress the same and we all sing the same songs and it's us, it's us, it's us and we forget outside the doors, literally right across the street and that neighborhood are people who need Jesus. 
They're that close. They're that close. And sometimes when I come here, I come here, we come here like sometimes 6, 6.30 in the morning on Sundays to get ready. I'm driving by this neighborhood, and I'm like, Lord, there's literally hundreds, if not thousands, like right here. How is it? What does it take to get them to want to just walk, literally walk? Five minutes. And then I'm humbled, like, I can't, it's just got to be prayer. Fundamentally, it's got to be a supernatural act of God, right? Stephen Cole says this, Jesus knew that the main need of every sinner is not to get our health or emotional or financial or whatever problems solved. Those problems should drive us to seek God. When we do that, it becomes clear that our main problem is our alienation from him due to our sins. Thus, forgiveness of sins is our main need, right? Nadine and I, we uh, have some people in our life that are going through some really tough relational marital issues and we have just heart of compassion for them right now but we don't really think that they really are walking with the lord we even have a relationship with god so we listen we encourage but deep down we're like they just need to know jesus not necessarily that the relationship would be healed but that they would be approaching it from a completely different place amen right a completely different place and so you know, they, they lower the paralytic. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven because he knows that that's the real need going on here, right? Because what if the paralytic, he heals the paralytic, paralytic walks out and never has faith. Where does he end up? Eternally separated from God, right? And so it's, you know, with the scribes, when Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven, there was an eyebrow raising moment, right? Surprise. This one... I think most of the people there had a, what they call an eyebrow wrinkling or furrow. Everyone do this. Right, turn to the person just next to you and go, hmm. All right? Body language, people say, when you do this, one of the emotions that that is a tell is confusion. You ever been in lecture or something, and the professor or something, you're like, I'm confused. Anyone have? Right? So Jesus, right? Paralytics, Lord. Jesus says, Sons, you're for, your, your sins are forgiven. The boy's up top, maybe the paralytic, and everyone else just went, I'm confused. I thought, we thought, it was all about the physical. I'm, I'm, I'm really confused right now. That's not such a bad place to be. When things happen in your life and your eyebrows either go up or they go down, that's not such a bad place to be because now you might be open, right? Now your world gets a little bit rocked and maybe now you're challenged with what you thought. We thought it was all about the paralysis. Whoops. I don't know what to do. I'm surprised I'm confused. I'm surprised I'm confused. Okay, stay there. Some of you right now are going through situations in your life where you don't know from day to day if your eyebrows are up or down. One moment you're surprised, next moment you're confused. Surprised, confused, right? Stay right there because God might be wanting to do something in your life and teach you something at your need level. It's at your need. Sometimes he needs to, you know, plow up our heart. Humble us a little bit in our thought process to where he can really speak to our needs. 
right? Where he can really speak to our needs. Because the greatest need is forgiveness of sins. The greatest need is a relationship with God. Amen? That is the need of needs. Is forgiveness of sins. That's the eternal need. That's the eternal need. That's the starting place of all needs. Right? The starting place of all needs. Right now, think of what everything you would claim in your life is a need. Right right now. What do you, what do you say is a real need? Food, clothing, shelter. Okay. Human level needs. Got it. How many of you said forgiveness of sins? Because if your sins are forgiven through faith in Jesus, <laughs> right? If that need has been taken care of through faith in Jesus, in many ways, you're good to go. Amen? In the deepest, truest, eternal sense, you are good to go. Right? Turn to someone next to you and say, hey, if you have faith in Jesus, you're good to go. Tell them you're good to go. You're good to go. Right? And yet sometimes in our humanness, we get caught up with the stuff around us. Everything happening around us. Okay? And, and I want to share something with you, but I, and I think it's, it's a good time. And, and understand my heart behind this. Around COVID the pandemic and everything that was going on, you know, there, there was, and, and I'm just going to personalize this, you know, I personally received some flack, some criticisms, some why aren't you about, why aren't you just more involved with the political stuff? Why aren't we, you know, and, and people just want to know, wow, what are you guys doing there? And how come you're not? How come you're not? How come you're not? How come you're not? Right? And I'm just going to tell you right now, I care about this country. My, my dad, my brother served in the military. I almost joined the military. Have, I have a great respect for this country. I love this country. Right? I get that. Okay? But during COVID and the pandemic, I was getting all kinds of flack about, oh, how come you guys aren't this and all this? And I, I'm just going to share this with you right now. I'm just going to, it's just time. The greatest need in this country is faith in Jesus Christ. The greatest need in this country is forgiveness of sins, confession, repentance, submission to the lordship of, of Jesus Christ. As a, as a minister, as a pastor of this church, I am called to shepherd the flock of God and meet people at their greatest need, which is the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Okay. That is what we focus on here. Now, if you are called to, to run for political office, to get involved in organizations, good. Do that faithfully. Do, do whatever God... I'm not, I'm not saying that's not important, but what I am telling you to help bring clarity about why the well doesn't get involved in all the politics is God has put on my heart for 30 years of ministry that the greatest need for people, for countries, for the entire planet is forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. That is what I have dedicated my life to. Okay? If you want to see a change in this government, okay, it's all going to rev up again with the elections. This country will not change until the politicians get right with Jesus. And I'm not talking a profession. I'm talking submission to the word of God, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. When their heart is right at the greatest need, the behavior will follow. Okay? So 
I just felt it was just time as I was reading this. I'm like, Jesus has this paralytic lowered. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And everyone goes, huh? And I think during COVID, when we didn't really get caught up in all that, people were like, hmm. And I just want to set the record straight. I've been called for 30 years. And however long God has me here in ministry to work with people at their greatest need, which is forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. And before you take that too lightly, because we live in the good old USA, that will get you murdered in many countries around this planet. To profess Jesus, to be a minister of the gospel, there are some countries I cannot go to because it would cost me my life. So it's not something, again, we become numb to it. And, and, and I just share this with you so you know my heart. And, and even as the election cycle rears back up and everyone's going to get all, you know, Facebook warriors and all the social media stuff, you know, it's going to start flying all over again in the church. And your church is this. And how come you're not like that church? This church, as long as I am the lead pastor of this church, this this church is all about the forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. Now, out of that, we will go to Life Choices Pregnancy, and we will do what God calls us to do. Out of that, we will go build homes in Mexico. Out of that, we will preach the gospel. Out of that, we will, as God leads us, engage in the culture. But we will never drift from our primary calling, because Jesus never did. What did Jesus say? He came to seek and save the lost. Jesus was laser-focused on his calling. And you know what? It cost him his life. But he rose from the dead, so we're good to go. So I just, I, I just, I just really felt it was time to really share with you where we are with this. Okay? We care, I care. You care about this country, all of that. But the greatest need of this country is Jesus Christ. That's it. I, ch- I'm a, I, kinda t- I try to keep things simple. And, and for me, I get, tried, I get pulled in all kinds of different directions, and I have to literally choose to say, I choose Jesus. We're just going to keep following. Jesus said, follow me. So I do my best in my own life to follow him. I do my best. The elders do our best around here to just follow Jesus. Okay, we're not saying any cause is greater. uh, No, we're not throwing stones or anything at anybody else. I just want you to know and hear it from me. Jesus was focused on people's greatest needs. That's what we do here. That's what we do here. Okay, and that's what we're going to continue to do. But I also understand that when things in your life and my life happen, we can kind of get caught up in asking God to deal with situations and people, and health, and finances, and miss that God might be wanting to do something in our heart. Remember in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul had this thorn, this really, the thorn was like a railroad spike is what their image was. Something really big was going on in Apostle Paul's life. Really was just this huge issue. And he asked God, hey God, can you take this away from me please? Right, 2 Corinthians 12, he writes, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. 
That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, I love the Apostle Paul because he's going through this huge issue in his life three times. He said, God, can you take away this issue? How many of you have an issue in your life and you have already asked God to take it away? Repeatedly. And maybe, like the Apostle Paul, Paul, God has lovingly said, nope. Nope. But, 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 but. No. I have a reason for this. I have a reason for this trial. I have a reason for this thorn. Because God is good. And all the time. Even if he leaves that thorn in your life. Because here's the thing. If God is allowing that thorn in your life... Maybe it's because your greatest need isn't to have it removed. Maybe your greatest, that might be your greatest want. But your greatest need is for that thorn to stay there so he can do some heart surgery. Because maybe there's some thorns in your heart that need to be pruned. Not the thorns around you. See, sometimes in our life we ask God to get rid of the thorns around us. He's like, nope. Because you got some thorns I want to deal with. And I just wonder, I wonder if someone here or someone at home or someone listening, you've been so angry, bitter, depressed, discouraged, confused, eyebrows up, eyebrows down, because you have been so focused on asking God to remove the thorns circumstances, the people resolve them that you haven't been even, you haven't even asked the question, Lord, what is it you're doing in me? We get so caught up with, Lord, do this, do this, do this, and he's like, okay, first step, here, you want me to, you want, you want me to deal with this? And I glory is like, oh, Lord, 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 please. He said, okay, here. Let's, let's begin the process. You want to begin the process, Gloria? And she says, yes. Right? She says, okay, here's a mirror. Let's begin with you. Because he knows that's our greatest need. Right? Hebrews 12 says this. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says... My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. Now, the word discipline in our culture, very negative, very hard. That's not biblical discipline is a very positive, encouraging word. Discipline is a good thing. Everyone say good thing. Discipline is a good thing, A, because he's treating you as one of his kids, and B, God's discipline is for your good and my good, right? It's to provide instruction with the intent of forming proper habits of behavior or providing guidance for responsible living. God's discipline, spiritually for you and I, is a good thing. It's a good thing, right? Warren Wearsby about the word chastening, right? He says this. Chastening refers to child training, helping the child prepare for adulthood. It does not necessarily mean punishment or disobedience, although that sometimes might be included. 
The successful runner must exercise discipline and submit to training. Never fear the chastening hand of the Lord. It is controlled by a loving heart. God's goal is your maturity. So if you have a thorn in your life or thorns, circumstances, maybe God's goal in allowing the thorn to be there is your maturity. He wants to discipline and chasten you through it so you become more Christ-like. You got to be open to that. Proverbs 3, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he what? Just as a father corrects a child in whom he what? Delights. Maybe this situation in your life is being allowed because God loves you. He delights in you. And he wants to transform you in the midst of it. Maybe he knows that your greatest need is to trust him and depend on him through it rather than him just take it away and you go on your merry way. Right? So the question then is, what does God want to teach you? Whatever's going on in your life, with relationships, finances, health, marriage, your kids, your career, whatever are the thorns you want to call them there, what is God wanting to teach you? What if it isn't just about your spouse or all the other people or your coworkers or your family members or your boss or whatever else you consider thorns? What if God really wants to say, like the Apostle Paul, Paul, I want to teach you to depend on me and find contentment in me. No, Paul, I, I heard your prayers three times. That's not what you really need, Paul. Paul, what you really need is to learn that you are strong in me when you are weak. You really need, Paul, what you really need is to find your ultimate joy in me, your ultimate peace in me. See, I love that because for many of us, if we will just open ourselves up and say, God, okay, I trust you to answer my prayers at the need level, your life, your marriage, your kids, everything could be radically transformed. Because a lot of times we're asking God for our wants because our wants fit our agenda. Because our wants are about what I want. And God always says, says no, 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 no. How about we go at the need level? And how about when you pray and you say, not my will, but your will be done. You trust me with what you really need. You really need. Man, in that, you find great peace and contentment. You really do. Okay? So I want to encourage you. We're going to enter in like we did last Sunday. Um, just a short time of prayer. Three areas maybe you can pray. Is there one person that you know needs to know Jesus? In this time of prayer, just pray for them. Pray for them. That's their greatest need, isn't it? Pray that they would have the greatest need. Maybe this morning you recognize that it's not about God removing the thorns around you. It's about the thorns in your heart. And maybe this morning in this time of prayer you just need to confess and ask God to forgive you for fixating on what you want 
rather than releasing what he really needs and trusting him to deal with the need level in your life. And then thirdly, in this time of prayer, maybe you're here and the first teachable moment was for you. Who is Jesus? Is Jesus God? Is he Messiah? Is he Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? And if he isn't in this time of prayer, you can settle that issue. You can come to faith in Jesus today. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. It's a gift of God. And if that's you, in this time of prayer, just talk to God. Say, God, okay, I get it. And then the best way I know how I'm going to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior today, I don't understand a whole lot, but I know Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead to pay for my sins. Okay, God, I'm going to trust Jesus today for salvation. Do that in this time of prayer. So, Father, thank you for your word. And now, Father, we come to you. Prayer is coming into your presence, being very conscious that you are here. Father, we come to you in prayer, making requests and intercession for those that are lost and unsaved. We come to you this morning, and maybe it's a time of confession because we have been so focused on what we want rather than allowing you to meet our greatest needs. And then, Father, maybe there's some here who need to put their faith in Jesus this morning. So whatever is on your heart, we're just going to have a time of prayer where you personally can talk to Father. Father, thank you for what we learned in Mark chapter 2, that Jesus didn't just focus on the physical needs of the paralytic, that Jesus spoke to his greatest need, and that that paralytic experienced salvation. So thank you, Father. I pray, Lord, you would speak to our hearts in whatever way that you would bring application to the word of God today, that you would bring transformation, that we would truly be following you, Jesus, at the need level, trusting you to meet our needs, not just our wants. So we love you. And as we prepare for communion, we prepare to do it in remembrance of you, Jesus. Amen. Band, you can come up. Warren Wiersbe says this. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle Jesus ever performs. 
It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price. And it brings the greatest blessing and the most lasting results. You keep that up for a sec there, Isaac. Look at that again. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle Jesus ever performs. I read that and I was studying this passage. And I hope, you know what? I hope you as a, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, that you never get numb to the miracle of forgiveness. The miracle of forgiveness. If you wonder if God is still doing miracles, are you forgiven? It's a miracle. It is a miracle. It is a supernatural miracle that if you put your faith in Jesus, your name, as you sit here, is written in the book of life. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. If something were to happen to you on the way home, immediately you would be in the presence of the Lord. You and I, through faith in Jesus, have received the greatest miracle ever offered to humanity. Don't ever stop celebrating that. You're a miracle. It's a miracle. You are saved. You are a child of God. Whatever you're going through right now, in this time of communion, when you come up, you can come up, get a cup, and uh, you can go back to your seat, open the cups, um, and take communion by yourself or with a family. That's fine. You don't have to wait for us. They'll be singing a song. But today, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And here's the thing. As believers, come up, go back, and you know what? Celebrate the miracle. It's a miracle. Now, some of you have been in church so long, the word miracle is just so, you're, oh, yeah, it's a miracle. No, it's a miracle. It's a supernatural feat that only God could do in your life. You're a new creation. You're a new creation. We are a church family, and we will be together for a very long time. So turn to the person next to me and say, you're stuck with me. Right? But praise God, we're getting new bodies. Who's ready for a new body? All right? It's a miracle. This morning, come to communion the smile on your face with joy in your heart because as a church family, we remember the miracle of forgiveness through Jesus. Amen. Well, it is August 13th and the school year is fast approaching and all of the travels from summer coming to a close. And so we're going to be kicking off the fall with uh, several announcements uh, regarding the fall and ways that you can be involved here. So we're going to kick off with youth. Good morning, everybody. My name is Ailey, and I help out with the youth ministry. And I just wanted to start announcing that on the first week of September, uh, we'll be starting up our Wednesday night youth group. So this is our weekly youth group for middle schoolers and high schoolers. And uh, the time and more details will be announced in the coming weeks. But just to mark it on your calendars, that Wednesday, September 6th will be uh, when we kick off. And if you know any families that have students uh, that go to uh, the middle school or high school in in that age range, uh, just encourage you to reach out to them um, and uh, we'll have more info in the coming weeks. Thank you. And also, just a heads up, uh, Shiloh and Jordan and baby Ziva are doing very well. And we hope to see them here some Sunday soon. 
Uh, but thank you for your prayers and all of that. They, they much appreciate it, but they're doing very, very well. Uh, last Sunday, I mentioned that uh, the uh, June giving numbers had not, or July numbers had not come out. They are up, so if you're interested in the July numbers, they're here in the bulletin in paper or online. And just a reminder, uh, through the summer, there's various ways to give here at the well. If you're visiting, you may notice that we don't necessarily pass a bag around uh, like uh, other churches do. Uh, we ask you to, to seek the Lord. And uh, it really comes down to stewardship and cheerful giving. So seek the Lord. We praise God for 13 years of his faithfulness and his provision around here. And we understand, you know, current economics inflation and, and everything going up and so sometimes even even on the uh the bigger scale when things happen on the macro level sometimes it's an opportunity for us to reassess even our own stewardship because there are seasons and so we encourage you to do that as we kind of come into the fall seek the lord god loves a cheerful giver we praise him for his provision uh, but there are various ways to give um Regarding women's ministry, we want to uh, give a praise report and say, with Christine, thank you for the card-making uh, workshop yesterday. Uh, just, again, a wonderful opportunity for fellowship and for ladies to get to know one another. So thank you for all those who came out. Uh, and, uh, ladies, we wanted to let you know something that just came to our attention. Uh, First Baptist, just down the street a little bit, they invited you, everyone, uh, the ladies, to Adventures in Prayer. It's this Friday and Saturday, $10 lunch provided. And uh, again, this really just came to us, so we want to let you know because they'd really love for you to uh, join them if you're available. Uh, what you need to do is you need to call uh, the church over at First Baptist to sign up. There's a phone number there. Uh, again, it's $10 lunch provided, but uh, they wanted us to invite all the ladies if you're able to make it uh, this Friday and Saturday. Okay? Uh, men, we have opportunities for men's ministry. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, my name's Matt, and I have a couple of invitations to you. Uh, one is for the men only. Uh, we have a Sunday morning men's group that meets, surprisingly enough, every Sunday. Uh, at 9 o'clock, we'll meet out on the patio. It's a friendly group of guys that uh, gather together to strengthen one another uh, through uh, fellowship and reading the Bible and just having a good time together. And there are donuts so those are provided uh, free of charge. You show up. There's donuts and there's coffee. Uh, Ernie can attest to the coffee. He, uh, he's a constant consumer of the coffee there. So uh, that's the first invitation for all the men. Uh, the second invitation is uh, for the Walk of Compassion coming up in September. Uh, the Walk of Compassion supports uh, Life Choices and the work that they do there. Life Choices is our local... Uh, Crisis Pregnancy Clinic, they do that and a lot more. They support uh, young mothers. Uh, we do a lot of work with them. We've helped uh, at their facility. And every year, uh, their fundraiser for Walk of Compassion is great. Everyone, It's a great way to gather, to pray for their ministry, and for us to, to just show support for uh, young women and their children. So um, I think those are my two announcements. Thanks for your time. All right. All right. Uh, and a couple Sundays, we want to invite you to join us over at the Continuing Care Center uh, Sunday. Uh, we're going to get there about 1.45. The chapel starts at 2. We've had a relationship with the, we call it Triple C, uh, for 13 years. And uh, if you're watching us again, Triple C, they watch us faithfully uh, Sundays. And uh, we want to invite you. We, before COVID, we would go out there once a month and do a chapel, just love the residents, meet them. 
uh, do some worship and a short um, devotional. And so we were firing it back up. We went out a couple of weeks ago at the end of uh, July. Great opportunity. Twelve residents came out and just wonderful. And uh, we want to invite you to come on out. Uh, if you've not been there and you're maybe a little nervous, that's great. Come on out. Come on out. It's local ministry. Sometimes we think that ministry has to be, you know, somewhere in a foreign country or something. It doesn't. It's a walk of compassion, and it can be what we call triple C. So it's our chapel once a month. Okay? And then finally, on September 10th, we are going to have a fall kickoff family day here after church. Uh, we're going to bring out the dunk tank, the water slides, all that kind of stuff. And we want to just kind of as a church family do kind of an official transition. That's from last year, things that we did. And uh, we just want to gather as a church family and invite you to, to spend an afternoon together. We're going to probably do a shorter service and head on to the back and just enjoy uh, kicking off fall together. If you want to be baptized on that day, we'd love to do baptisms uh, on that family day. And um, you can bring your own lunch. We'll provide extra refreshments and all that. But we're looking forward to, to family day and kicking off the fall. Okay?